good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are reading in 1 Peter. Now, a lot of times I don't call it a book or an epistle, but it is an epistle. It is a letter. And occasionally I may call it a book, but most times I just say 1 Peter. So we're reading in 1 Peter. This is, you know, Peter stated in the first chapter, I probably won't mention this every time, but that this was written to the those who live as exiles scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And he's talking about those believers. And he did not specify whether Jewish or Gentile, so we believe, he means it to all Christians in those areas. And it, we can take and apply <clears throat> these good lessons to us as well. Now at the end of chapter 1, Jesus is talking about God's word endures forever. And it's his word that has been preached to us and that transforms us and renews us and has you know, helped us be born again. Now... You know, because hearing comes from the Word of God, and uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing comes from the Word of God, you know, that this whole thing of where we're baptized and we're born again, because he's talking about us being born again, and how that stems from the Word of God and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, of course, making it even possible for us to be born again. So he's talking about those things. He starts chapter 2 here, with the word so. So many times we use the word so because we're alluding to what has been said or in this case written before and that's what he's doing. <clears throat> he's saying so or because of these things, because we are born again and renewed through the word of God and Jesus sacrificed himself so that we could be born again and receive God's love and mercy. He's continuing on from there, continuing that, those, you know, his, his um, thought. So, <clears throat> let's see, I say so a lot. Anyway, we're going to start off here. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So put aside every trace of malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and hateful speech. Like newborn babies, you should long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may be nurtured and grow in respect to salvation, its ultimate fulfillment. If, in fact, you have already tasted the goodness and gracious kindness of the Lord. So here he is encouraging new Christians. Well, and, and uh, actually any of us can still benefit from and enjoy the milk of the word. But we should we should mature beyond that. But here he's he's encouraging new Christians to long for to want the pure milk of the word to want God's word, and that's we should all want God's word. We should all be studying that daily. And you know he reminds us if in fact you have tasted the goodness and gracious kindness of the Lord, you know. So, because our, our faith will grow and, you know, in respect to salvation, we will um, 
we, our faith in its ultimate fulfillment and Jesus coming back and all that will it will grow. It will grow our faith. And that's why we should seek first the kingdom of God. That's why we should long for the pure milk of the word so that we will build our faith and believe and trust in God. And, and it will help us grow in respect to that, knowing that we are going to go to heaven. We, are, we have our salvation and we can share and spread that with others. Okay, so verse 4. Come to him, the risen Lord, as to a living stone, which men rejected and threw away, but which is choice and precious in the sight of God. Come to him, the risen Lord. Well, that's Jesus. Come to Jesus. He is the living stone, which men rejected and threw away. He is the cornerstone of our church. He is what we what we've built his church on. And we, we may call it ours, and in a way it is, but it is really his. <laughs> and we have to admit that it's really the church of Christ. It's really Jesus' church. That's why so many times when you see you know, a church say it's the church of Christ because they want to follow what Jesus said and they want to be a part of his church that he founded. You believers are like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy and dedicated priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a chosen stone, a precious honored cornerstone, and he who believes in him Whoever adheres to, trusts in, and relies on him will never be disappointed in his expectations. This precious value, then, is for you who believe in him as God's only Son, the source of salvation. But for those who disbelieve, the very stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they disobey the word of God, and to this they who reject him as Savior were also appointed. Now, here Peter is talking about us believing and building, you know, helping build and be a part of Christ's church. You know, by us also being, you know, living stones that are a part of his church. We're, we're used in the building of his church. We're a part of Jesus' church. And we're, you know, we're holy. We are to be holy. We should be holy. And a dedicated priesthood. We should all be priests for Jesus, for the Lord, for God. And offering, we should be offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God. And how do we do that? We do that through unselfish love towards others. That's how, that's the sacrifice he's looking for. He's looking for mercy and, and charity towards others. Mercy and love. And that's what's pleasing in his sight. And you can see that throughout the whole New Testament. That's the sacrifice and the, the, uh, the action he's asking of us, part of that love is sharing the gospel, is sharing and trying to teach others and, and, and share that message with others so that they will also 
be saved and, and have salvation in Jesus. And they'll also become a part of this priesthood and a part of this church. I'm going to continue on. Oh, he's going to talk about this better than me. So verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a special people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies, the wonderful deeds and virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people at all, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here he's saying, in, his, in, in a better way, he's saying kind of what I was saying. That we would be a priesthood, we are a priesthood, we're set aside for God. And that we should be proclaiming the excellencies of him. We should be proclaiming his goodness and the fact that he called us out of darkness into his light. And now we are a people joined together. We are God's family. We are citizens of his kingdom. So we, we belong together as a people. The nation we belong to is the kingdom of heaven. You know, first and foremost. That's our spiritual country or, or nation or city. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from the sensual urges those dishonorable desires that wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the unsaved Gentiles. Conduct yourself honorably with graciousness and integrity so that, for whatever reason they may slander you as evildoers, yet by observing your good deeds they may instead come to glorify God in the day of visitation when he looks upon them with mercy. So, here, plainly, he's telling us to live that, you know, since we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we are aliens and strangers in this world. But he's telling us to abstain from those things which are, which are wrong, which would wage war against the soul that damage us, in other words, that damage our soul, that damages our spirit. Abstain from those things, from those desires. Keep our behavior excellent in front of others, especially worldly or, or um, unsaved people. Make sure that we keep our um, conduct accordingly, according to God, so that even if they wanted to slander us or if they do slander us as evildoers, when they really look at our deeds and see what we really do, they will instead glorify God and they will realize that we are following God and we are not evildoers. Unless they call God evil, we can't do much about that if, if someone is to that point. Uh, we can try to convince them otherwise, but, but it would be a very hard task, I imagine. But nonetheless, for whatever reason, if they may slander us, we want to be able to them to see instead our, our good deeds so that they would come to glorify God. They would come to realize that we are true to our faith and not hypocritical. That's a big problem we have is that the world sees us a lot as hypocrites and they see us as uncaring and they think of us as, you know, demanding that, that the world follow our rules, but it's it's not that way. That's really not the way it is at all. We we want the world 
the people in the world to be saved. We want them to, to follow God and the Lord because that's better for them. Because he mentions here, abstain from these sensual urges that wage war against the soul, that harm us, that damage us. That's what we want. We don't want others to experience that either. We want them to not be harmed and not be damaged by those very urges, those very desires that are that are wrong, basically. They're just wrong. They're bad desires and they hurt you. And we don't want others to experience that. We don't want them to have that pain or that suffering or be, be hurt by their own doings. It's like you don't want a child to cut themselves with a knife because they're playing around with something sharp and they get hurt. Or, you know, we don't want them to accidentally burn themselves or step out in front of traffic. We try to keep a child safe and that's what God tries to do for us. I keep going back to that analogy because that's that's the one that that's there. That's what works. That's true. All right. Verse 13. Submit yourselves to the authority of every human institution for the sake of the Lord to honor his name, whether it is to a king or as one in a position of power or to governors as sent by him to bring punishment to those who do wrong and to praise and encourage those who do right. For it is the will of God that by doing right you may silence, muzzle, or gag the culpable ignorance and irresponsible criticisms of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover or pretext for evil, but use it and live as bondservants of God. Show Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover or pretext for evil, but use it and live as bondservants of God. Show respect for all people, treat them honorably, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. Here we are encouraged to do the right thing. So many times we're told to submit ourselves, we're told to put others ahead or in front of us and to, um, I forget the right words, but submitting ourselves to one another, you know, we're told to put others in front of us, put others ahead of us, to uh, think of them as more important and to think of their needs first. So here we're told to submit ourselves to, you know, human institutions or governments for the sake of the Lord, so that people will know that we are law-abiding. There's a number of places we're told to obey the laws, and this is another one where we're told to, you know, follow the laws, as long as they're not against God. We have examples we know better than, to, than that, but such as, you know, following our governors and, and those who, you know, who are in our government that are saying, hey, you know, do this for safety, do this for, you know, do that, and, you know, follow these laws. Most of their laws, too, if you'll look at it, they are trying to help us be safe. Now, they're not always right, they're not always perfect, but they're trying. And notice, for it is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance and irresponsible criticisms of foolish people. Because some people are always going to be watching us and criticizing us for not doing what they think we should do. For not, and if we're not following 
you know, lawful orders and, and, and godly dictates, then, then we are wrong, you know. And we should live as free people, but do not use our freedom as a cover or pretext for evil. But use it and live as bondservants of God. So we can't use our freedom as a cover or a pretext for evil. We can't use that to make excuses for being haughty and prideful, for uh, being selfish and just wanting our own way, and, and um, you know, for being rebellious. And uh, we can't use it as a cover for any of those things or any other evils. Now, those are the ones that I would think, in a way, would apply most, but you could use it as a pretext or a cover for other things as well. You can say, well, we're free to do whatever we want to do, so you go and do sinful things, and you say, well, we're free to do those. Well, we're free from sin, not free to do sin. There's, there's a difference. So that's something we have to remember. It's not a pretext for evil. So we should not be committing evil. I have mentally made these types of errors before with certain things, and I have, I have since tried to change and, and move away from all that. I may discover other things in the future as I live and grow, and, and you know we're always learning. It's part of our walk with God. So, and then show respect for all people, treat them honorably, love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the king. I mean, this is simple, but look, show respect for all people. It doesn't matter if, if they agree with us, if they despise us, if they hate us. Jesus said, love your enemies. So, this goes along with that. Show respect for all people. And then it says, love the brotherhood of, of believers. We should do that as well. Fear God and honor the king. We should, you know, fear God. We should love and respect God. And we should also honor the king. In our case, in our country, would be the president. And we should honor the president and not, you know, and not just be awful, speaking and doing awful things regarding the president. That's just wrong. <clears throat> Continuing on, verse 18, servants be submissive to your masters with all proper respect, not only to those who are good and kind, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if a person endures the sorrow of suffering unjustly because of an un unawareness of the will of God. After all, what kind of credit is there if when you do wrong and you are punished for it, you endure it patiently? But if when you do what is right and patiently bear undeserved suffering, this finds favor with God. So I think this is easily understandable. We should always do the right things because they are the right things in the sight of God. They're, they are what's correct. We should do the right things because they are the right things. Because we're Christians and that's what we should be doing. And if this means we suffer, sometimes we suffer undeservedly, then so be it. You know, this finds favor with God. And favor with God is way more important and way more precious than anything else. So, and he says, for this finds favor if a person endures the sorrow of suffering unjustly. So, and he does say because of an awareness of God. You know, because we are 
believing in God and we suffer these injustices wrongly. But, um, yeah, because if we do something wrong and then we're punished, I mean, we, we deserve that. So that's a different story. That's not the same. But we should be... Now, and when he talks about being submissive to your masters and servants, um, this refers a lot to, a lot of times the Greek refers to household servants. And in this case, uh, it says that uh, the Greek refers to household servants. Uh, they may have been well educated and managed the estate. They may be managing the estate of this person. This, this could be a, you know, a, a kind of a well-to-do servant. And it says servant, not necessarily slave. It could be a slave, but it could be a servant. It could be someone who's hired. And, you know, a lot of people had live-in servants that they, they, they had a place to live and eat and they were, um, they were actually paid. So that can have, that could have been the case too. But they're saying be submissive to your, you know, your, your masters. We can think of it as your boss or whoever. And with all respect, you know, all proper respect, not only to those who are good and kind, but also to those who are unreasonable. If you've ever had an unreasonable boss, you you know what, what they mean. You know, we should still be respectful and, and, you know, speak to them and treat them properly. Doesn't mean you can't look for a way to get away from that person, but we should still treat them correctly and, and do correctly as, you know, as we can in our dealings with them. All right, verse 21, For as a believer, you have been called for this purpose since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit ever found in his mouth. While being reviled and insulted, he did not revile or insult in return. While suffering, he made no threats of vengeance, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges fairly. Of course, Jesus trusted in God. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, willingly offering himself on it as on an altar of sacrifice, so that we might die to sin, becoming immune from the penalty and power of sin, and live for righteousness by his wounds. For by, I'm sorry, for by his wounds you who believe have been healed. For you were continually wandering like so many sheep, but now you have come back to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So here, as an example for us, Peter says, Christ suffered for us. He suffered unjustly. It was injustice. It was not correct for him to suffer and die. But he did go through that, and he did not you know, he did not revile, he did not threaten, he did not, you know, Jesus had all this power. He could have wiped out all his opposition. He could have set up a kingdom and been a king here on earth. I'm sure there was temptation to do that. That's part of being human, and I'm sure that's part of the temptation he faced. But he was still God in the flesh, too. And he knew what he was doing. He knew what needed to be done to save us all, rather than just set up a small earthly kingdom and save just a few. He knew what needed to be done to save everyone, and he did it. He did that. 
He saved us for all eternity. His sacrifice is an eternal sacrifice. But he noticed he, you know, the whole time he went through this, he made no threats. He just kept trusting in God. He did not revile. He did not insult. He did not, you know, do any of those things that, I mean, as a human, I would be so tempted to do. I mean, my goodness, it would be so difficult not to do that. So he personally, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we would die to sin and live for righteousness so that we would live for God, to be with God through, through Jesus. We can find that mercy and grace and we can live righteously in front of God, with God. We can be a child of the kingdom and we are. If, we're, if we have our salvation, if we've been baptized into Christ, we have that. Before, we were just wandering like so many sheep. We were just out wandering around. We were just kind of lost and wandering around. And, you know, that keeps, that's the analogy that keeps coming up. We were just lost, wandering sheep. Just, we were just prey to everything in the world. You know, we're just, you know, any wolf, any whatever could come up and attack us and kill us. You know, in a spiritual sense, in an emotional and mental sense. All of that is true. We, we were just sheep, and that's the way, I'm not trying to be mean, but that's the way unsaved people in the world are. You know, they, they are like sheep. They are just being... You know, they're either they're being victimized by by every thing in the world that comes along, every evil thing, every evil thought or deed, you know, all the wolves and all the other creatures that would attack the lions, all that, the, the sheep are prey for them. And that's what we want to save them from. We want to save them from those sins that are their you know, those sins are from Satan to to kill and destroy them spiritually. So it is what we want to protect them from, what we want to help them get away from. We want to bring them back to, as he says here, back to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Back to the Lord, back to Jesus, where we should be. Alright, so that is the end of First Peter chapter 2. I want to thank you for listening. Hope you have a wonderful day. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And remember, God loves you.